Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optic Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson, and we're back. Um, today, we're doing a podcast uh, called What is Making Me Sin? Um, we got a, a question from a listener, and uh, the question was, uh, Greg Locke came to my church to speak in, is that Mun- Muncie? I'm going to get that wrong. In Seattle, yeah. Muncie, Indiana, Muncie, yeah. Indiana. And I was wanting to know, at what point is something demonic versus being bewitched by a witch versus our sinful nature. So this person is asking, um, at at what point can we identify something as, as demonic or I guess he adds bewitched in here as one of the categories or as part of our sinful nature. And so I think the main question here is what is making me sin or like, how can I identify sin and where it's coming from? Is it my flesh or is it demons? Um, and so, I guess we can start with categorizing this. There's the three, he broke them down into three different categories into demons, witches, and uh, the flesh. And so... Yeah, and that isn't the three categories that I would generally use. Right. I think one of the reasons why the witchcraft thing is in here is because, it's not because like Christians are always afraid of witches or something, but because this gentleman, Greg Locke, this pastor... um, made headline news when he said that during an exorcism, he does a lot of like exorcism stuff at his churches at his church. And at one of them, he said that it was kind of like came out or revealed in some way that there were witches in his, in the church that were trying to like destroy them. And so he says, he said some specific things about witches. So I think that if Locke was preaching at this church, he may have brought that up. Yeah. And which is, this might be why it's relevant to this listener. So I think it's important to recognize that, um, Throughout most of the history of the church, um, witchcraft has been treated primarily as superstition. Uh Okay, so if you look at the work of, um, I want to say David Bentley Hart, his his last name is Hart, H-A-R-T. He talks a little bit about the the medieval teachings on witchcraft. Okay. And because there's a lot of, there's a lot of like belief historically that like, Christians did nothing but go around and accuse people of women, in particular, of being witches and burning them. Like the Puritans back in, yeah, at the Salem witch, the Salem witch trials would be one example of that. But there was also a good bit of like witch burning in historical um, Europe. However, the numbers of that that people are often taught, like either in school or in undergrad, are just like wildly out of proportion. So, like there, there are some there. There have been some public intellectuals who have said that the number of people who were accused of being witches and were killed in Europe over the 500 or so years where that was more popular yeah. is in the hundreds of thousands. And there's, there just isn't evidence as far as I can yeah. tell that that's true. So there was a portion of people, there was belief in witchcraft, but the main teaching of the Catholic church during that time was that most of what passed for witchcraft, including people who thought they were doing witchcraft yeah. was superstition. Nothing was really happening. And that it was fairly easy to protect yourself spiritually from witchcraft by just engaging in normal actions of holiness and right. prayers of renunciation right. of the devil. And so, right. um, and so what the Catholic church was usually doing when it was moving through different towns and places in Europe was saying, calm down. You don't need to find a witch to explain everything bad that happens. Right. Most people who even think they're engaging with witchcraft are engaging in superstition and so on. Yeah. However, they did, they do believe mm-hmm. that there, there is a certain kind of occultic craft, which is a kind of witchcraft. Right. Um, whether it is a nature worship kind of shamanism or whether it's like malevolent magic designed to destroy the lives of others. It is in the Bible, right? That witchcraft yes. is, they talk about witchcraft in Revelation and in other right. places. And not, in the Torah and, and in, the Torah. in some places yeah. in the narrative. Yeah. So, yeah. so the Bible does claim that 
there are forms of spiritualism or spiritism that are real. Okay. And as I have interacted with missionaries who have served all over the world, including around witch doctors and shamans and so on, they attest to that fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, Christians do believe. I mean, if you're if you're listening, you may think this is like unsophisticated or unscientific, but I'll just tell you, you're. I I know you're wrong from person like personal experience and from trying to work through this. Like I'm a very secular person, right? I'm mm-hmm. by just like I'm na- I'm by de- by nature a feminist and a complementarian by conviction because I was raised in a feminist age. Really? I am a secularist by nature because I was raised in a secular age. Right, to the right. extent to which I believe in spiritual stuff, it's out of conviction. Right. Okay. It's, to, it's in rebuking the secularism that I was taught in all my life as a child right. and in the culture I live in. And so um, there are some situations where um, all the scientific stuff we can do does not resolve things. And right. fighting right. spiritual warfare through prayer and, and spiritual action does avail real healing in people. This might be to uh, maybe this doesn't connect it the way that you would want to, but the that like the scientific connection to witchcraft or. Uh, I think I immediately think of um, Isaac Newton, who was practicing alchemy, mm-hmm. and he's also a great scientist. A great scientist and yeah. he like th- he was a very smart guy. I'm sure that there's some sort of connection there that he was like. Right. And there's different levels of alchemy, like the right. idea that maybe with some way in chemistry, we could turn a a very heavy metal lead into yeah. another a different very heavy metal gold. That's not crazy, right? Like that, that's not like some kind of inst- like we haven't been able to do it. Yeah. It's one of the things where there seems to be a natural boundary, but yeah. it's not like that's insane, right? And yeah. so, al- but but also within different alchemist worldviews, there were some like very strange views. Mm. Also, like there's some really interesting insights even within like like very out there superstitious stuff, like um, like astrology. Like right. there's a lot of stuff in astrology that, as far as I can tell, is just like nothing but superstition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh and yeah. Yet, oh it's yeah. So like even ancient, these ancient superstitions, because people focus so much attention on them and worked their wisdom in and through them. Right. They're oftentimes like very, way more sophisticated than you thought. And there are insights in them and yeah. so on. Um, but also the occult practices, right. they, there is spiritual power there that is like difficult to totally understand. Right. So this, uh, is astrology. Astrology is connected to like the like constellations the and, yeah. mm-hmm. and that was probably connected to, to how people made their way around the seas. Probably. Right. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, that's true. Ancient astronomers were virtually all astrologists, astrologists as well yeah. because they were, they believed in like this sort of quote superstitious cult of astrology, yeah. but like they also believed in, they also were truly observing the stars. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is a case in a lot of things that like things that we would call superstitious now, mm-hmm. um, they, a lot of the scientific stuff, the first people who participated in it were people that were in these were alchemists or astrologers or right. people like that. And to, relative to witchcraft, um, it's, it's interesting that people like poo-poo it. They'll be like, oh, that's so stupid. You know, Christians hate witches. They're so superstitious. And yet I'm meeting more and more people who say that they are witches. Yeah. More and more people who are engaging in spiritualistic shamanism. Yeah. Uh, there's a woman um, that someone in our church is close to who is starting a shamanistic business right wow. now to bring wow. like, to use shamanistic witchcraft to bring blessings into people's lives and stuff it's like that. It's much more popular. I have friends who, who went to Ann Arbor in Michigan to uh, plant a church and... They, I, they, I heard from them that there's so much of the witch, weird witchcraft, mm-hmm. like tarot card readings, like it's everywhere in Ann Arbor, and Ann Arbor's got uh, University of Michigan, like yeah. it's 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 sophisticated uh, right. in in that way, and yet it's everywhere. I mean, that's yeah. and it's becoming much more popular. People in my generation, Gen Zers, yes. playing with like Ouija boards or doing the. Astro- right. I mean, I know like on the Snapchat app that a lot of young people have. 
you you get like a signed or they have next to your name your astrology sign or whatever yeah, that's not uncommon and, and like people like they give you you know what I don't even know what the astrology stuff means, but there, it's like, it's in your face all the time. Like you're, you're, yeah, you're a cancer and an Enneagram four. You know, right, it's like, right, yeah. right. Yeah. And so, and yeah. so it's becoming very popular among young people. And, and yeah. this is, and part of the reason is it's also the reason why more, why there are some people turning to high church traditions like Catholicism and Orthodoxy. Yeah. Part of the issue is, is that like, like I, I was talking with because somebody, of the mystic, like the, yeah, it feels because, mystical. Yeah, yeah. Because of the bankruptcy of secularism. Right. So yeah. secularism is an is a very very powerful philosophy yeah. to engage in the creation of scientific knowledge. Yeah. And for a while yeah. post enlightenment and modernity it was believed that what we would find out was that ultimately everything was secular knowledge. All real knowledge was secular knowledge. It was the kind of deal that like ultimately even biology be, can be reduced to just physics and chemistry and ultimately just physics. Right. And so like everything is built off of these scientific realities and therefore right. through science, we would understand everything, but that really just hasn't turned out to be true. Yeah. Right. That like areas There's... where science can tell us the truth, man, we're doing great. Right. Like things like technology and phones right. and cars right. and right. combustion engines and airplanes and right. missiles and drones. Right. We're doing great in that stuff. Right. But areas like philosophy and morality right. and so social relations and like right. a lot of those kinds of things secularism has really failed us in right. a very profound way. Right. And so a lot of people are saying like, we need another tier of knowledge somehow. And so anything that is mysterious like that, like can be added to our secularism. Do you think that like Darwinism is like secularism's most prominent, uh, philosophy philosophy that has it's one of the top four. Yeah. yeah. That's, I feel like it's done the most in, in answering questions of morality through like the survival of the fittest and things like that. Yeah. But nobody wants that morality. No, right? I know. Yeah. Right. That, and, it, it, it's done the most to undermine morality. Now yes. people will say like, if you have a sophisticated view of evolution, you can understand how morality developed, how morality itself was produced by evolution and it's valid. The problem is, is that if, if, if evolution produced morality right. and evolution is an unguided process, yeah. then if I, if I can sense in myself a moral impulse that yeah. comes from my evolutionary history, there's no reason why I can't be, I can't take a transhumanist like perspective on it and just say, right. well, I'm just not gonna do it. Right. Right. Because I know that like, like the, the, the idea of loyal social loyalty by which I shouldn't commit adultery on my wife. Right. Yeah. If I realize that comes from a herd based loyalty that came from like my ancestors yeah. moving across the African plains as a 2023 human being, I can say, Oh, now that I understand where that instinct is coming from, that moral instinct is coming from, I can now hack it. I can basically erase its power because they, well, it's just coming from my, from my evolutionary it's a, it was history. a social construct right, in right. that it, time it's just a biological construct down. and yeah. i can just decide right. i don't want right. it now and so like it does really so like so da darwinism those, nietzscheism yeah. freudianism and marxism yeah create this like secular but what people are realizing is marxism is not a sufficient social philosophy yeah. nietzscheism is not a sufficient or economic for marxism right. as well. yeah and marx yeah. or economic right yeah. and so people realize that and, that secularism is both true in a certain way yeah and completely insufficient. Right. And you've only got so many options once you realize that. Mm -hmm. Either you can say all that there is is this insufficient thing called secularism. Right. And that's all there is. And then you can basically be a hedonist, drink, snort coke, screw girls, do whatever you want because there is nothing right. more than the secular knowledge. Right? right. Or you can say, no, this driving me to like know something more, experience right. more is spiritual or moral or something like that. Something has to be laid over the secular world so that we're the, we're the right kind of secular. Right. Now that could be religion. Right. 
or it could be a new spiritism. Yeah. And when C.S. Lewis wrote the space trilogy back paganism, in the fifties, like a new, a new paganism. Yeah. So Lewis believed what would happen in modernity in yeah. late modernity is we would hyper secularize. Yeah. And then paganism would re-enter. There'd be a new kind of like spiritualism that you would think secularism would rule out. Right. That would kind of come in through the back door and you would have this like spiritualist. Yeah secularism that I, would just sort of like exist side by side. I think he's right. I, yeah. I think that's literally what's happening. Yeah. I have this picture on my Facebook page from years ago when I went to India of this guy walking by the Zoroastrian temple, talking on his cell phone <laughs> with a little piece of wood in his hand because he was going to go into the Zoroastrian temple and put it on the eternal fire. So he was literally a Zoroastrian fire worshiper talking on his cell phone. Right. In like 2000, 17 Mumbai, right? And it's like, it's the modern person is now recognizing that rationalism has its limits. Right. So what fills the gap between human, the, the height of spiritual human capacity and where secularism ends, right? So I, I talked to an Orthodox convert recently and he's like, look, I'm just done with rationalism. Mm -hmm. The idea that rationality can like assess all of life in every way and all that there is, that yeah. just isn't true. And so faiths like the Orthodox Christian faith where mysticism yeah. and mystery is emphasized yeah. and therefore ritual and yeah. image and art and beauty is focused on, right. it really draws people. I think people especially who have a particularly noble bent. Yeah. But then also like witchcraft also works too. Right. Because magic and science are, are very similar because they're means to control. Both are means to control. Science and witchcraft or, or like um, magic are yeah. both means by which we, we engage with our environment to control it. Yeah. And so in that sense, witchcraft and science go really well together. Yeah. Like in one sense, people be like, well, that's crazy. I mean, secularism right. is like anti-superstition. Well, science versus superstition, they don't go well together. Right. But in terms of a means of controlling my environment, right. putting myself at the center, defining right. the world around me and controlling it, they go together like peas and carrots. Yeah. I think that's interesting that... And P Peter Kreef pointed that out in one of his books. That's where I got that from. Right. I mean, it's, I think that's interesting. We should, we could even do a full podcast on on um, secularism and leading into like a pa the secular post modern secularism lead leading into paganism a new type of paganism because I'm as you're saying this I'm just thinking about my generation and like what people are attracted to and it is mm -hmm. this they there's this like I internal longing for something more spiritual mm -hmm. and yet they don't they know because I think they've been I think they've been brainwashed into hating the Christian traditions. They know they don't want to do the Christian thing, but they know that they want something that the Christian thing does very well, which is the spiritual part of living. Yeah. And they're going to these pagan, these, and not all these gods. I just don't think there's a bunch of gods that they're worshiping, but it's something like that, like the demons or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what Kreef said, I don't know the word he uses opposite of science, but there's like, there's a view of nature mm -hmm. where we are trying to live in a certain kind of dance creatively with nature, like what the Bible calls in Genesis one, like taking dominion yeah. where we are lovingly acting as God's co-creators working creatively yeah. to bring out the earth's potential, so to speak. But in doing so we're submitting to yeah. our environment as yeah. well as, as acting with it. Yeah. Right. Similarly in religion, as opposed to magic, we are submitting to the religion. Well, I, right? I, it's telling yeah. us what to do. God is telling us right. what to do. It's so we're in this dance, but we are a submissive character as right. well as an active agent. Yeah. Yeah. So in religion and in say farming, right? Yeah. We are both submissive, submissive and active. And acting. Yeah. Does that make sense? The farmer is submissive to right. the elements. But in science, wreathed in technology and magic, 
right? We are the central agent and we're acting right. and controlling our environment. Right. And so right. in that sense, magic and technology go really right. well together. And right. so being engaging in witchcraft mm-hmm. and having a smartphone mm-hmm. go together really great. I also think that to your point about ra- people, hi- hyper rational people who have found that, um, some of the, the that like rationalizing everything doesn't lead where they want to go and then they kind of swing the pendulum all the way they become eastern orthodox or something like that they yeah. it seems to me like that that is somewhat the fault of like evangelical christian christianity that evangelicals have spent a lot of time in the past 50 years trying to hyper rationalize yes. christianity and then because of that you'll have like low church evangelicals who don't do much of the ritualistic spirit more spiritual high yeah. church practices and then people in the low church evangelical they're leaving i mean even even like evangelicalism in the united states is dying off in the younger generations because in certain ways in certain ways and in certain subgroups yes that's true right i mean yeah. isn't overall like more more younger people aren't they're they're becoming more like catholic or they're going towards that the high church or am I? I it, I think it, I think if you talk about Gen Z, I think that there is there is slightly more irreligion overall. Part yes. of the issue is is like you don't none of these words, we don't even know what these words mean, right? Yeah. We don't even we don't we're not really sure what evangelical is right now because there's a lot of people who say that they're right. evangelical and, and they're affirming they don't believe in the Bible, they don't think Jesus right. was the God Man, right. and yet they they say that in some way they're evangelical because they still have some use for that label before they get rid of it. You yeah. know, yeah. and so like there's a lot of statistics happening out there that I'm not even sure we know what they mean yet. Yeah, that's I do think true. we're in a in a contracting period right now where right. people are walking away from faith because they've got a lot of other things to put their faith in and they're choosing yeah. to. Mm-hmm. And why put your faith in the God who demands certain things from you, including yeah. what you the, do with your body right. and your sexuality right. and your life, right. and that right. you should have children and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, Man, yeah, but I think one of the one of the thing, well, things is also happening within the evangelical and some fundamentalist churches, which is why I think this guy. Locke has gotten some traction is because most churches like ours, you could go to them for like three years and never know that the people there believed in that demons exist, that there are spiritual intelligences Mm -hmm. that actually exist. Mm -hmm. Um, The kinds of belief that Richard Dawkins would be like, you should be ashamed of yourself for believing in such superstitious nonsense. But listen, Christians have always believed that. And so, but here's the thing. We were right about this. And Christians have always- Christians were right to embrace science- and still believe in yeah. angels and demons all along yeah. and the human soul and right. all those sorts of things. Like, and, and we've just been right. And so now right. people are flipping right. to become spiritualist right. and Christians. We need to keep holding our course. Just like yeah, when yeah, people yeah. are become, right. being super hyper secularist, right. we were like, look, there's up. another way to be secularist. Yeah. You can be secular in the pursuit of scientific right. knowledge and all those kinds of things without pretending that's right. the only knowledge there is. Yeah. And people are like, Oh no, you're so stupid and superstitious. Right. Now people are going to flip over and be spiritualists right. and tell us that essentially we don't believe in spirits and we're like we're too that we're too secular now. We're it's too, like no, God has been balanced and right this right, whole time. The whole time. Yeah. There have always been angels and demons. There's always yeah. been the human soul. There have right. always been God who is the spirit. There's yeah. always been the work of the Holy Spirit. We've always believed in spirit. We've also always believed in nature. Right. And we've believed in the inter- interlocking of nature right. and spirit through right. both grace and curse. Right. And 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 I I would say that Christianity has taught for the major, for the last 2000 years that the spiritual realm is much more real than the physical realm. That like we should be looking at the way that we should be interacting with the world is is trying to interact through the lens of the Holy Spirit that shows us the spiritual implications to what we're doing yes. in the physical world. Yeah, that, more like, real in that it's the shaping reality. It's the shaping reality. Because we are moral right. and spiritual. Right. Animals. Right. And I think because it's 
I mean, I might be wrong about this, but it's, the spiritual world seems fairly objectively binary in that there's a good and there's an evil, whereas like in the physical world, things are distorted in weird ways that can tip you off in, in an awkward way, like like Satan tempting Adam and Eve with a half-truth and how that worked. Yeah, well, I mean, in that sense, nature can serve many things, right? And so, yeah. So, the, right. so yeah, and I just want to make sure when people hear you say binary, they, we don't mean dualist. We don't mean good and evil. Yeah, are in I some use sense the wrong equal. word. No, I, binary is fine because okay. it's true. There's evil and there is good. Yes, that's, binary. that's what I meant. Yeah. And, you, and, and Christian theology is binary in the sense that you are on one side or the other. Yes. There is no right. actual neutrality in the yeah, universe, right. at least for human beings. Right, right, right. But it's not dualist in the sense that evil is not as strong as good. No, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. We're not yeah. doing that. No. So, okay. So when it comes to a question of right. like, okay, so then how, as a Christian who believes in spirituality, but who also wants to be right secular in the right kind of way. Yeah. Right. If there's something wrong with me, to what extent should I look for uh, a medical reason? To what extent should I look for a psychotherapeutic reason? Mm-hmm. To, what ex- and to what extent should I look for a demonic reason or an angelic one? To what extent, and to what extent should I look to the spiritual categories of myself, like the flesh or the spirit right. or whatever. How do I parse all that out? Right. 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 And I think we should start by, by discussing what th- this stuff is. I mean, I think the flesh, um, is talked about sometimes in the church, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I mean, I, I just want to, so we can define our terms. What is the flesh? And I think yeah. that'd be the first place to start. What is the flesh and how it's described in scripture? And then mm-hmm. we can move, move into what are demons and like some of yeah. the other. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes people make the mistake of thinking that the flesh is our bodies and that is not correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. The flesh is what is wrong with the human person. And the word flesh recognizes that that is at least partially connected to our embodied nature. Mm-hmm. Like there's something wrong with us physically too. Mm-hmm. And so, um, one of the ways that that comes across is, is that we tend to become servants of our sensuality rather mm-hmm. than of our purpose or mind. Yeah. Right. So, so like our sexual impulses, our impulses for food, our vanities, our anger, things that are, uh, that are often like rooted in what, um, evolutionary biolog- biologists would say the most primitive part of our brain, but you could just say the most instinctual and reactive part of our brain too, mm-hmm. that like those sorts of things, when we don't we don't have control over them by a advanced spiritual nature. Those things tend to dominate our personality and they're always clamoring for attention and they're always pushing us. And so the flesh is um, a, our brokenness of will, but also what that always means is it always gets reconnected with our like instinctual sinfulness, like our selfishness and the way that would flow out of us with our impulses. So and you're our saying those are two different, the flesh and our instinctual sinfulness are two different things. I'm saying that the flesh is a word that refers to a mixture of things that are wrong with us. Okay. That could also be referred to as like indwelling sin. Like the oh. thing, the thing inside of us that is pushing us to sin is simply the flesh, the flesh. Okay. Then the question is, okay, if you want to break that down, yeah. what is it? Is it in your soul? Is it in your yeah. body? Is it? In your, and the answer is all of those yeah. parts of you are complicitly right. part of this group of things that Paul just terms the flesh. I've always thought of the flesh as like a cancer that's consistently eating away at your, at you. That's killing you constantly. I don't know if that's how people should think about it because I don't know if a cancer makes up all of these different types of things, but the way in which it spreads and eats everything that is good. Yeah. I think that you could argue from scripture that 
if you don't kill the flesh, it's killing you, as John Owen said. Yeah. That that is that the power of the flesh will grow. Yeah. Yeah. If you feed it, so to speak. And and that that idea that there's something wrong in us that will grow if we feed it, like mm-hmm. that's in like Native American folklore. Like it's really, everywhere. Yeah. yeah it's I mean, everybody everywhere. sees that yeah. about humans. Right. Um. Right. But the Bible sees it too, right? Because right. it's a, it's right. a truth that can be discovered in in right. um. So yeah, and that like that is the flesh, and it so it will grow like a cancer will grow. If you kill a right. cancer, it will diminish and so on. But it's also like part of the idea of the flesh is that it is rooted in our sensuality, like our nervous system and what our body desires. Yeah. That is that the natural function. So like the Christian view is not just that we like evolved to our environment, mm-hmm. but that we were created for a purpose, and that all the things in us are ordered to something. And so the flesh is the disordering of our nature. Yeah. So our eye, we have eyes to see, but our eyes are drawn to things that are not that are necessarily not good, good okay. right? Our sexuality is made to enjoy the other and to procreate and to connect and to enjoy that good. But we would just want to like be like not be monogamous and just right. have sex with whoever. Like it's like our our desires that are supposed to be ordered to a certain good have become disordered. They're, now, now they're all over the place. They're not governed right. well. I think the next question would be then how 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 are we? The so first question is. Are we, I don't, I don't even know how to ask this question, but like, are we as a person um, interacting with the flesh, like helping the flesh do that? Like, are, like, are we kind of a disconnected, the flesh, it feels like what you're saying is that the flesh is kind of reordering us and it feels like it's disconnected from me in a way. Like it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the Spider-Man three with T- Tobey Maguire. A long time ago, back mm-hmm. in the early 2000s, the Spider-Man movies that I grew up with. You know what I'm talking about? I, I don't. You'll have to describe the scene if you want. So, to so in the third movie, Spider-Man uh, gets a hold of this this black goop, and it tur- and it like it's venom, and it mm-hmm. like goes on his suit, and he becomes stronger and more powerful. But his desires, and he becomes more like mm-hmm. evil, right. and so he takes it off of his suit, and it and then another guy. Um, it comes it, like it's attracted to people and wants to take them over. So it right. takes over another guy. He turns into the villain villain that is venom mm-hmm. and he becomes like crazy. He's evil. And so yeah. I've thought of sin in the flesh in that way, but like the, the, that like is the flesh that kind of like detached from us that it, it is it inherent or is it detached? I'm trying to ask, like, yeah. is this thing, like, coming, is it attracted to human beings and then it destroys us, or are we born with this thing inside of us that we're actually participating in? Yeah, no, I think I think that the, I think the second metaphor is probably closer to the truth that we are participating in it with the flesh. Okay. Yeah, but, but also, like, we, one of the ways to think about the difference between a condition and nature is a condition is something that if it stopped being true, you would still be you. So like if, if the flesh were to be totally taken, what we call the flesh were to be totally taken out of me, yeah. I would still be me. Whereas you, if you, yeah, whereas if you took my body away, you wouldn't be I you. would still be me. Not in the sense that I mean me. Now, what would you be then without the flesh? Would you be perfect? Yeah. What would happen is all of my faculties would be rightly ordered to their true ends. Okay. So like my sexuality would be ordered towards my wife yeah. and also towards receiving children and new life right. and fertility and all the right. things that it's and really for and nothing it's not for. Yeah. Ultimately right? everything ordered towards the glory of right. God or whatever. Right. Yeah. I would only get angry about what you should get angry about yes. and in the proper proportion. Right. I would only, you know, like all the, like right. all of my self would be rightly ordered to what I'm created for and what exists in creation Interesting. and in service of God. And so all every way in which that's not true mm-hmm. is the flesh. 
Okay, that's so what that's Paul means flesh. by the flesh. And so the flesh okay. is like a pretty expansive category. Yeah. People sometimes want to just like, like nail it down to like a particular thing, and it's right. just not that easy. Right. In some in some ways, the flesh is like the anti-conscience. Yeah. You can kind of think of it like that. Yeah. Well, and and the flesh to me seems like the least attractive of of these couple options tort to human beings. Because I mean, it means that you have to admit that you're partaking in your own demise and that you're part of the problem. What I've heard is a lot of people, and I think that this is used among young people more as a more of a, as a spiritual manipulation that like when I do something bad, it's like it's Satan trying to attack me or the demons are trying to get after me and like, I'm not perfect. So I fell or whatever, but it's not really my fault. It's the demons fault. And so maybe this gets into the next question is what are demons and how are they, uh, how are they manipulating us and how often is this happening? Is it like every time I sin, am I just being manipulated by a demon? Um, and if not, are, is, are the demons interacting with the flesh? So yeah. what are demons is the first question. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I think it's important to recognize that scripture doesn't say as much about demons as people often think maybe it does. Yeah. And so um, we know enough to know that Jesus believed they existed. There are demons. Demons are, something like evil spiritual intelligences that have rebelled against God and are seeking to destroy his good work. Mm -hmm. They exist under God's providence Mm -hmm. and are limited by him. Mm -hmm. Right. And they are utilizing the world Mm -hmm. that is, or that is the cultural instantiation of sin in the systems around us and in the culture around us. And what's indwelling sin, the flesh utilizing those two, to maximize our rebellion and brokenness and ultimately And they're beings, they're people, they're persons. Yeah, they're people, immaterial but... spiritual beings, right. Okay. Okay, so th- that's a demon they don't necessarily, jar. they're not necessarily red with horns or anything like that. Yeah. There's all, there's all kinds of like right. th- drawings or ways people depict them in order to humiliate believing in them, but right. none of those have yeah. any relationship to the truth. Yeah, they, they, they could be something completely different. So how are they interacting with us? How are demons interacting with with? Yeah, I mean, the, the shortest answer to this is, there's nowhere in the Bible that like explains this, right? right. There's, there are just places where certain things are assumed. Mm-hmm. So the the miracle that Jesus does the most, at least in the first three of the four gospels is exorcism. Mm-hmm. So demons can, in some cases, inhabit people in ways that at least partially control them. Yeah. By the time you get to the, the writings of the apostle Paul, mm-hmm. he focuses a lot more on influence that devils devils and demons influence us our right. beliefs our moral choices mm-hmm. and things like that yeah. and also they inhabit certain belief systems mm-hmm. so he said one of the reasons why he didn't want christians to go to like the the festival for like zeus and yeah. eat the sacrificed animals and stuff he says because when you do that you honor demons yeah meaning that behind the belief about zeus yeah paul said was essentially a demonic revelation Something that kept people shrouded because, because, because if demons went around and said, listen, worship the dark Lord of hell and you can go to hell and be completely destroyed. People wouldn't do that. Right. So the counterfeit that demons offer have to be a plausible and attractive counterfeit. Yeah. And so paganism was a plausible and attractive counterfeit. There are gods. Yeah. Those gods are gods over certain things. Right explains a lot what's going on around right. you but they're all they're also sinful gods they do all kinds of bad stuff and so right. because zeus sleeps with everybody he wants to yeah. you could sleep with everybody you want to right. and so like the moral constraints that god actually puts on people paganism didn't create in most cases and except for the social ones that most people wanted like you shouldn't murder people yeah and so paganism allowed you to have a 
a code of honor right. that kept society stable, especially for patriarchy, right. for, for men to be rulers. Right. But it also allowed men to go to prostitutes and be right. violent and and like domineer their families and so right. on. And right. so they they loved that religion. It was a great religion. Yeah. Does that make sense? And it, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, and it, women it, loved it too. I mean, they were yeah. pa- they were they were, they were um, patron gods that were all right. wi- that, that were women, right? And not all of them were like prostitutes and, or something. They yeah. were like noble female characters right. as well. Um, I, I think maybe the, the uh, aside from the Bible, the best resource on demons could potentially be. I think it is the Screw Tape Letters. Like I think the way that C.S. Lewis writes about the the demons interacting with human beings and influencing human beings in mm-hmm. in ways is probably one of the more insightful. Yeah, Lewis takes a general psychological approach. Yeah. He's really trying to teach us about ourselves as human beings, like yeah. how we function and how right. uh, how I we excuse our wickedness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he does it through the voice of devils, and I think that mm-hmm. what he gets right there is that it is that kind of influence. Mm-hmm. The, the like the, the screw tape letters isn't mm-hmm. focused on possession, but on influence. Yeah, and that is seems to be Paul's main concern. Yeah, is that demons influence us, and so we don't know ex- absolutely exactly how that happens. We don't know if demons can like see our thoughts or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean we, human beings are incredibly predictable. And so we're, yeah. we signal everything. We say right. all kinds of stuff. And so they wouldn't whether even or not, need to see our yeah, thoughts. Devils yeah, don't have right. to see your thoughts right. to know exactly what you're thinking. What you're right. Do, yeah. And so one of the reasons yeah. why we don't know if devils see our thoughts mm-hmm. is because they don't have to. It, it's right. We're so easy. Also, it's very likely that we are significantly less intelligent than them. Mm-hmm. The Catholic church presumes that devils know things um, metaphysically and intuitively so they know a lot more than us mm-hmm. because they don't have to experience everything to mm-hmm. experience it. Also, they're just older than us. They've been around since mm-hmm. near the beginning of creation or the beginning of creation. And so they've existed for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, and so that so Christians and, and people have talked for a long time about different degrees of demonic influence. Mm-hmm. The, the lightest degrees of demonic influence would be like influencing our thoughts, encouraging us to go along with the flesh mm-hmm. and the world. Right. Which for most people is plenty for their damnation. All we need is just a little nudge, a little, a little argument for it, a little explanation, a little, uh, some lies about God. Kind of just like what you would see in Genesis three. Oh, does God really say this? And what do you think about that? And isn't God holding out on you? And don't you really want to, that's really all we need to to do it. Um, in certain cases, uh, God's restriction on the action of devil seems to be lightened when we engage in certain sins. Mm-hmm. And so Catholic exorcists will say this all the time that like when you, there's certain things that when you participate in them or do them, you are opening yourself up to, to an increased effect of devils, which could move towards possession or, um, wow. or, uh, or lesser forms of domination. Yeah. Yeah. And so Catholics would say mortal sin or just serious sin. Mm-hmm opens you to that, but also participation in things like the occult and those sorts of things right. can do it as well. Right. There's but, a verse in Ephesians six twelve that, that does talk about like what, uh, and maybe that I'm going too far or like maybe I'm moving ahead too quickly, but it, that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. This is, seems to be talking about like demonic, mm-hmm forces or whatever. Yeah, I mean that's what Paul says in Ephesians. The reason we have yeah. to put on the armor of the armor of faith, right. of truth and faith and all the stuff that's in Ephesians yeah. 6 is to protect ourselves from demonic attack. Yes. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Yeah. That our faith to not so our faith isn't destroyed so we can right. stand firm so that right. we can be godly that we can follow the Lord. Yeah. Right. And so Christians are supposed to understand that their main battle is against devils or right. demons. Now, that 
it's understood that that's in conjunction with the flesh in the world that indwelling sin inside of us. So like, if you want to be, if you want to beat devils, mm-hmm. right, how do you do it? And the answer is, well, you kill indwelling sin. So right. they have less to work with. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right? and, and so your, your mind isn't so prone. I mean, like, I, I'm just thinking about like, if you're watching porn all the time or yeah, if you're, if you're watching porn all the time, like all, all a demon has to do is just like show you one picture. Like there's nothing like you, all you have to do is yeah, you're easy. go on Instagram and you just see one picture of some girl half mm-hmm. naked and you're done. Now, right. if you haven't watched porn in a, two years mm-hmm. and you go on Instagram and you see this picture, you probably won't even have Instagram, but you, you'll just go out you of it. Like you're, it's going to take much more than that to get you to go back into porn just because yeah. your mind has been sobered by not sinning simply. Yep. Yeah, so I think sometimes people think if you're if like if you're a very secular person and you say this is all just stupid superstition, you're just going to get all these people who see demons behind everything yeah. and they're going to blame the devil for everything. Okay, now th- there is a so like there is a, a mentality, a religious mentality where you want like a quick fix, and so it's convenient to blame the devils mm-hmm. for things and to not take personal responsibility. Yeah. And to yeah. to that extent, this that secular person would be correct, right? Yeah. But I would also yeah. say that that's not real faith. Right. So w- the way you resist the devil right. is by pursuing holiness, right. Pursu- because all of those arm the spirit the armors the armor right. that you're supposed to fight these things with are all I, I mean they're all, all you, part of faith. They're, yeah faith yeah. and virtue and and mm-hmm. holiness and godliness is like your salvation your faith the sword of the spirit and then you have the breastplate of righteousness like these are mm-hmm. all things that you're supposed to be working on. In yourself, as right? So practice. knowing the truth, being ready to do God's truth, will, right? right. Feet fitted right. for the readiness of the gospel, yeah. right? right. Um, pursuing righteousness, doing right. what you know is right to do, and obeying right. the Lord, right? right? All of those are things that like are just part of maturing as right. a person, right? Spiritually, yeah. This is why growing up, I would hear, well, if you ever feel tempted, just like recite this Bible verse to mm-hmm. your temptation, and you'll win or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, like, I don't know. At a certain point, I was like, this just isn't working that well but i think that's because that that seemed to me like a cop-out answer to like actually understanding what the bible verse means and then in in, like inputting that into my daily life and having that be what drives me into godliness like it wasn't just i mean you have to know the truth to even have a shot like i mean i know people who are like you know they go to church and they're fornicators and literally nobody at their church has said post puberty for them. Hey, you're not allowed to have sex with someone you're not married to. Yeah. Sex is for the comprehensive relationship of marriage. Right. And like, I, I can't tell you how many people I, who go to church who they hear me say that. And it literally is the first time they've ever heard it. Yeah. And so you have to, so like saying, here's the Bible verse or here's the truth is, right. is an important part of the process. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that we shouldn't rec- memorize scripture. Yeah. I'm just saying if you don't know what it's for. Right. But, but it's, but this gets back to magic. Yeah. Bible verses aren't magical incantations right. that you state that make you magic. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's not Bible a verses are truths yeah. right. that go into your soul right. and like you work out that right. truth and your trust and faith in it so that your mind and heart and soul come into accordance with it's true. Conform to that, yeah. yeah, and you really believe in it. And so when uh, when the alternative temptation comes in, you're like, well, that's not me at all. I don't I'm not even right. drawn to that. Right. It it like cuts right. out the heart of the temptation. It yeah. kills the flesh, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. what's what people have to understand too is the language of Ephesians six and other places that talk about devils, when it talks about principalities and powers or powers and authorities, those are the words that often go together yeah. in Paul's writings. That assumes that there's a hierarchy in the demonic realm and function. Yeah. And that is yeah. that is countervailed to the hierarchical nature of the heavenly realm. And so part of the dynamic of 
Moving Wait, say away. that again. Say that again. I, I so there that. are angels and archangels. Arch me literally means ruler. Yeah. Right. Arche means ruler. Right. So there's, there's, a, the there's a hierarchy in the in angels. The, right. And God heaven. doesn't apologize yeah. for that. Like right. God likes hierarchy. There's also a hierarchy within the Trinity. Uh, <sighs> as God is the Father. Or at least, okay. I won't. There's yeah, a hierarchy in our understanding big, of the Trinity. There is a certain kind of hierarchy in the way the Trinity behaved in salvation. I, I think you could say that. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's. that's. Yeah. But, that's, the, but the. But the not to say that Jesus is lesser Eternal than subordination yeah. is usually considered a heresy. Yeah. Which that, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are lesser than God. Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe that they're su- lesser. And fully subordinate. Right. There just seems mm-hmm. to be some sort of hierarchical relationship when Jesus is like, well, one, yes. and the Father and the Son. Yeah. And in Jesus the incarnation. Saying, There's stuff that God Jesus, knows that I don't know. Right. Yeah. In the incarnation, Jesus says he subordinates himself to the Father. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But like the question is, 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 is like, is the Son eternally subordinate? Though That's a bigger theological question. We don't, we don't know that. Right. I don't I mean, think we know that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway, the point is, is that because there's, there are hierarchies in the dynamics and actions of heavenly and non-heavenly creatures or right. beings, not creatures. Right. Um, one of the ways that Catholics will often talk about this is part of the resisting the devil is whose authority you really are putting yourself under. And the more you put That's yourself the under question. the authority of the of Lord obedience. Jesus, yeah. the more you are under his hierarchy of operation. Right. Right. When you decide not to, Right, they would call this committing moral sin, mm-hmm. but it would be just like just walking away from the Lord. Walking. Christians would call this like backsliding or right. not caring about holiness right. or something like right. that, right. or not having real faith if you're a Calvinist. Right? Yeah, yeah. Would be like you just you you're walking into the hierarchy of right. the devil, and so right. like when you do so, guess whose authority you're under, yeah. and then guess who can do stuff to you. Right. right? This is, this also speaks to the like fundamental truth. I don't maybe the, just a. It seems to me like a spiritual and natural fundamental truth mm-hmm. of hierarchies that hierarchies exist and they can either be used for evil like Satan or mm-hmm. good like God. Like he's he's yeah. structured you're a good be in hierarchy, the hierarchy somewhere. And you're going to be a subordinate yeah. member of it. And the question right. is, what authority you run? Yeah. Right. It's a question of obedience at the end mm-hmm. of the day. And yeah. And so now, like, I, like th- this isn't like some kind of like easy chalkboard drawing where I could be like, well, right. if you do this, then you're under right. Satan's authority. It's just, I mean, but like, it's a dynamic, right? right? It's like this. So, and God isn't trying to give you the specific. Right. Because if you act in good faith, you don't need the specifics. Is, is it safe to say that like Christ, Christianity is conscious obedience to the good hierarchy, and not being a Christian is subconscious obedience to the evil hierarchy? Like, I, like I don't. I look think at that's mostly true. Christian mm-hmm. non-believers aren't like, yeah. I want to follow. I'm Satan. Follow Satan. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. 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 Uh, right. Everybody has an argument by which they think they're a good person. But you gotta. Yeah. Right. But you have as a Christian, it needs to be conscience. You are con- conscience. conscious in an accordance with revelation. Yes. In Christ, correct. Yeah. 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 And what Romans one says is that people who don't submit to the hierarchy of the Son, they are re- relating to the hierarchy of the devil, but it's because they are deluding themselves. They're they're suppressing yeah. the truth, yeah. and so they don't right. want to know right. that truth. Right. And so they come up with another one that they can believe in. And, right. and devils are very happy to give you lots of options. Right. 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 Because you're never believing in them. Yeah. You're believing in a useful lie mm-hmm. for your own damnation. Yeah. Right. Devils, devils don't need you to believe in them. Mm-hmm. They just need you to not believe in Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I guess my, my, I guess the next question that I would have is, okay, so, so if, if you have these demons or, or devils that are, that are maybe fighting for your flesh's attention, would that mm-hmm. be a good way of putting it? Yeah. Fighting for your flesh's attention, helping your flesh dominate. Yeah. You. Those mm-hmm. two things seem to be working together. So the, the 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 question in the beginning was like, well, at, at what point is something demonic versus being bewitched versus being mm-hmm. sinful nature? It seems like in a way, you're saying all these things. It's going to be very difficult to be like, oh, this thing is demonic. This thing is the flesh. 
these things are working together. And because that's true, how then are we to interact with ourselves as Christians and fighting the flesh and also resisting temptation? Yeah. You're so you're always fighting against all three oppositional elements, the world, the flesh, the devil. So there's always going to be part of your culture, some things in your culture that are not ordered towards God. Yeah. Right. And they're not in submission to him. They're not put in their proper context in proportion. And that's always going to be messing with your thinking. Mm -hmm. And Romans 12 says, therefore, present your bodies as living sacrifices and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm -hmm. So you can understand what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So like pursuing God means giving your surrendering yourself in body as well as soul to God. And then recognizing that the way you look at the world has to be transformed. Your mind has to be renewed. Right. And the the result of that renewal is that you'll understand what God's will is rather than just the will of your culture or just the will of your flesh. And you'll realize that that will that God has is good, pleasing, and perfect. And not just good to God, but good for you. Not just pleasing to God, but pleasing to your new renewed mind. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and perfect. Like exactly the what it should be. Right. And you see that it's exactly what it should be. Mm-hmm. And so you're willing to follow it. Yeah. And that's yeah. part. And so that gets you disconnected from worldliness. And it puts you in the process of putting the flesh to death, which is really just actively, martially, ferociously resisting it. Mm-hmm. And that like, and so um, the Bible says that we're to crucify the flesh. So, I mean, you can have a, like a mental picture of like hammering yeah. nails yeah. into something that's screaming. And that thing that's screaming is you. Right. Like you're looking at a, like a doppelganger a of yourself. Like that, yeah. yeah. And it's like, don't yeah. kill me. You need me. You'll never right. be happy without me. And right. You're like, you're nailing it to a cross for right. it to die. Which is a, such a confusing concept that I have yet to even begin to understand that that mm-hmm. you can kill yourself and not kill all of yourself, uh, and that right. and that like there's right, some the f- part of you that's for in some ways is in union with Christ, right? Because the that, flesh is a is yeah. a condition; it's not your nature, right? So if like if I was bipolar, that's what's right? confusing. Maybe that is that. It, Imagine I was bipolar, and so I had a brain. Yeah. I have a neurology. It's right. all. Kind of in a way, by nature, what it should be. Yeah. But it has, there's a condition to how it's firing, how it's working, that's giving me these symptoms that's like, that aren't normal and they're really inhibiting me as a person. If, if I could be, quote, cured of being bipolar, I would still be me. Right. Right. But I, I just wouldn't have that condition anymore. Right. Does that make well, sense? my question is so like, I'm ADD. If, right. Like, if God, quote, healed me of ADD, right? Yeah. Would I still be Nick? Would I still yeah. really be me without the ADD? And, right. and my answer to that is yes. Uh, my question is more of the question of like, I, I have a hard time believing, or I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing and understanding that human beings have, like our nature is is not like, a, okay, so Adam and Eve, I could say pretty objectively that their nature was good. God created them good. Right. Anybody coming after Adam and Eve, I have a hard time seeing that their nature is good and that sin is a condition rather than the 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 nature like the nature of man. Yeah, because I is, think, but that is the biblical argument. The biblical argument is that our nature has been corrupted. Is it not that our nature has been co- like taken over? That's, well, yeah, I mean, like you can die of cancer, you can die of all kinds of corruptions, right? Right in the human body, and so the the question is, can can the cure overcome the corruption? I feel like right? the damnation co- is the corruption overcoming the cure. Isn't the isn't the question is isn't the question doesn't does Jesus give us a new nature? Okay, so you got to remember that the word nature is not always used technically. Okay, so the nature is like. Um, like in Yoram Harzoni's new book on conservatism, yeah. he defines nature as that which you can expect to happen. Okay. That's totally different than the way Aquinas 
defines nature, which right. is that which is your inherent self without which you would not be you. That's not how Aquinas defines it precisely, but, but like, but it's like, it's like the, the inherent you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, therefore the human nature is good. It's in the image of God and it's good, but it is in the condition of sin. That is, it is under the influence of quote, the flesh or indwelling sin. So you don't, Indwelling sin can be profoundly diminished in this life yeah. by the work of holiness, by pursuing God, by learning to believe in him and obey him and putting the flesh to death. It weakens and weakens and weakens it, right. but it's, it always can come raging back the moment you don't pay attention to it. I guess it's just hard for me to, 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 to grasp the concept of a good human nature. Like, is it a weak, good human nature that it could so easily be taken over by the flesh? Yeah, well, it's corrupted. Yeah, it, I mean, it's 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 under this it's under the state of harm, and it, because of that, it is it is incapable. So I sin just, destroys the capacity for us to be truly righteous without the work of the Spirit, without the work of God. Without I always just thought work. that that within the concept of of being born again, you were being born again into a new nature, like uh, like the te- like the the literally yeah. like like that our nature beforehand is totally sinful, absolutely sinful. There's nothing good about it, and that's why God can throw it into oblivion, like throw it into hell. Mm-hmm. Can He throw something that has, gosh, can He throw something that is inherently good into, or not inherently good, just by nature good into hell? Seems to be to me to be wrong. Like I don't feel like God would be able to. If you are good and then you're corrupted by sin, how then can He throw you into hell? If he, how could He throw something good into hell? And destroy it or torment it for a very long time. And well, I think forever. the angels were created good, and he still condemned demons that are fallen angels. But I, I mean, I, I think I see where you're coming from. And so, so one, just to clarify the work of salvation, yes, it is the case that in what is sometimes called regeneration, right. God does something supernaturally inside of us that changes our spiritual. Mm-hmm. I think you could say nature, definitely our makeup or our our spiritual, the way we spiritually exist. Like he, like it says in First Corinthians five, that we're made a quote a new creation. In That's Christ, kind of right? what I'm wondering. So what's so what leaves? That's the, what's the old. Clearly, I don't have a new body or anything like yeah. that yet. So, and we talked about this before outside of the podcast, but it's still, I think it plays into this question because I I have right. a hard time understanding the like the deep intricacies of what happened during the gospel that what, what changed technically, I guess. Yeah. And, that, and then maybe I'll never understand that. And that's why we have to walk in faith in a way, but about the nature of man and how it's changed through the gospel seems to me to be the, that seemed, seemed, I guess for the past five years, am I thinking of my own salvation? That seemed to be the, the thing that changed was my own nature and what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And that made me into a new person. Like it, that's yeah. why you can say to somebody who's a Christian now who wasn't five years ago, wow, that person is like a different person because yeah. they've totally changed. And the only thing that's not different about them is their their skin and their face and their yeah. body, I, you know? Yeah. So I, I don't know that we, any of us knows ex- all the exactitudes of this because all right. the things in, sal- in the Bible about salvation are metaphors, but they're meaningful metaphors. Yeah. So like yeah. when the Bible says that we, we are, that God takes out a heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Something about the heart or the right. sea of human emotion yeah. and regulation and understanding and belief yeah. and will right. gets transformed to be right. living where it was hard and dead, right. right? These words that that are used in scripture are used metaphorically in the sense that like 
while they're true, they're also metaphorical because God looks at, God can see the spiritual things that we don't even understand. And he's in, he's explaining these things to us through a means by which we understand, which is our own language. Right. We can get right. Like when I became a Christian, I didn't literally have a stone heart. Yeah. Right. What I had was like, like stubborn emotions. I was stubborn against God. I wasn't willing to believe. I was willing to believe my own flesh. Yeah. Like I, what I didn't have a soft heart towards the good or the truth or what God was trying to teach me. And so when he did this work of salvation in me, he changed my heart, meaning my emotional and my conscience, like the part of me and my will that went along with the flesh. But now was he had made me willing to go along with the spirit right. and like okay. what he was calling me right. to. And what the way John Wesley would say was before that miracle of regeneration, yeah. the yes, flesh controlled or reigned your human psychology. Yes. At once regeneration happens, the flesh, it remains and is yeah. still trying to influence you, but it no longer reigns. Right. There's another principle, another presence, another part of you that is empowered. So what I would say is regeneration takes our original good nature that has been deadened or hurt or bent or broken yeah. and diminished through what we sometimes call depravity. Yeah. Yeah. And it re enlivens it and puts it, it spiritually regenerates it into a state where it's capable of functioning in faith. Is this, is this why you would, would you not call, you wouldn't say that you believe in total depravity then, right? In the same way that the Calvinists believe in total depravity? I believe in total depravity in the sense that I believe that our brokenness from the fall, right. how indwelling sin affects us, it affects every part of us. Right. And it's, 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 you can't fight back against it in your own self other than through Christ. Yes. I think, yeah, I would say we don't. Which it means I can't. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. In a way. I, I think so, there's some <laughs> Calvinists who believe that total depravity means, that, means something like... There's, there is nothing good in us. Yeah. But I think good there means two different things. And what do you I think, think that's it means? Because that's where I think I'm coming from. Yeah. Because I think, because I think that there is something good in us that is something God values in salvation. Yeah. But I think the, the idea is that we can't perform anything like righteousness. Which therefore which makes I, us which I unworthy. Right. And therefore worthless, which seems to contradict the beginning statement that God sees something of value in us, which is so hard. I'm not. Okay. If I, if I throw somebody, if somebody murders five people and we put them on death row or, or we put them in prison for 30 yeah. years, are they worthless? Right. See, see, I would say a broken chair is worthless. I just throw it in the garbage. I don't care anything about it. Yeah. If I take a human man and I throw him in a cell for 30 years, like I, they, there's a, he's a big deal. For me to damn him like that and to spend all the energy and money and time to do that, like, I don't know if I would say I would describe him as worthless. I'd describe him right. as damned. I'd describe him as lost. That, that, that you're saying that. But I feel like, like the word worthless isn't really the descriptor I'm looking for. Well, God's willingness to damn us in hell for eternity is because seems, we are worth so much. Seems to be something, yeah, add right. some sort of worth. But isn't he right. doing that to Satan too and the demons? Yeah. Yeah. Is there some worth, worthiness to them? Well, yeah, they're angelic beings. So, the, so here, part of the issue here, Andy, is I think that the confusion people have is if there's good in you, then there's like good in you, and like who could? But the problem is, is like the thing that's that's quote good in you is your capacity, what you were made for, and what that right. was to be ordered to. Not what if you're you doing. If you use that for yeah. evil, right. then the very good becomes the evil, the evil. in the yeah. same amount. So, yeah, like, if yeah, I put yeah, an yeah. AR-15 in your hand, yeah. like a, a semi-automatic gun, yeah, yeah. and you 
defend helpless people with it. You've done good. You've done with this great thing. So the Air 15 yeah. is a great good. Yeah. If you take the Air 15 and go shoot a bunch of kids in a sixth grade classroom, right. that Air 15, which is this like massively consequential thing, a right. good in that sense, becomes literally right. the vehicle of immense evil. Right. So when a human person takes their the the nature God gave them, made made in the image of God, and spurns grace mm -hmm. and continues along the line of sin and rebellion, what they're doing is they're taking this thing of enormous value, right? And they're making that value a negative value. Okay. So sometimes yeah. people used to say to me, Nick, your kids are so smart. They're such smart kids. I was like, okay, yes. But now draw a graph in your head. So if Jude's intelligence is a positive eight, what that means is now he could be a positive eight or a negative eight. Right, right, right. He's right, just not right, going to be right. a three. Right. No, he could be one of the worst I, people right. or one of the best. And so, so this his, is a deeper the goodness way. of his yeah. creation yeah. gives us a scale. Yeah. Yes. But whether it's yes. it's useful yeah, yeah, or yeah. evil is up to him. It's all about capacity and the, and the scale right. in which and and I, this is why I so think human that, capacity for good right. is also right. human capacity for, for evil. evil. And and if we use it for right. evil, then we are that evil. Right. And so different people have different capacities for good and right. evil. And I believe that that's true. Right. And that's a why horse I was always in a, in a, in a yeah. lion can never be as evil as a man. Right. And I've always been pissed good. about the about the, well, I've always heard about common grace. This or like God holding you back, but I think that common grace is done through God giving you capacity, certain capacities. I mean, like Hitler had the great capacity for evil. I also think right. if he would have been saved, he would have had the great capacity for good. And yeah. like, I don't. I, this is why I don't think that yeah, we all have the great had capacity the ability to lead Germany into a golden age, right? And instead, he. But I don't think that darkness. everybody has the capacity for evil and for good that Hitler had. No, no, no. And, 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 there's right. and that's the thing. That's a part of the nature of human inequality, right. too, right. is Jesus said to, mu to much whom is given, much will be expected. Much right? will be expected. Like, and we can't really know. We can just kind of try to feel it out for ourselves. Right. Like, OK, I feel like I'm smarter than other people or I feel like I'm better at this thing than other people. So yeah. I should do more with it. Yeah. But like, I've met a bunch of like illiterate Indian peasants. That like, you know, they're just trying to scrape by. They're just trying to survive. Like, yeah. what does God want from them? And I think he wants them to be as faithful as they can in the work that they have to do yeah. Yeah. and to pursue what goods they can. I think what he expects of me is way more than that. Yeah. With all the privileges I've been born with. Yeah. And so. Right, um, right, right. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah so I, so in that sense, I, I, I believe not that I have to quote, have to do great good to be saved, mm -hmm. but God's work in me. Right. If I really am pursuing him and want to do what he's called me to do. I'm going to pursue goods in proportion to my right. gifts. Right, 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 right. I, I, I think that that's all legit. And I, I think if I hadn't turned to God and God hadn't done this work in me, that it's likely I would have pursued evils yeah. in accordance with my gifts, at least the level of selfishness okay. that's that high. Okay. And, and so what Christians believe is whatever's happening with the flesh in that sense, devils are encouraging it. Yeah. They're encouraging us away from right. faith and towards that selfishness right. or some other idolatrous belief. Now, I think it's important to say... If you if you think of yourself as somebody of high capacity, which who who knows if you actually are, but like this isn't an excuse to be like, hey, I'm only I'm only like jerking off every. Sorry, I, that that is, that is very explicit. I'm only jacking off every day, but <laughs> I could be having affairs or something like that. You know, could be, worse, could be worse. So I'm just I'm just doing the bare minimum. Like that's not an excuse to continue to sin in a lesser way because yeah. you think you have a higher capacity, right? I mean, I could see somebody doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's just really misguided. I th and I think most people know conscientiously that's not true. People have people just incredibly undersell themselves for what we're capable of now. Yeah. Because people are so, have been made so lazy and weak right. by like air conditioning and mm -hmm. food at the supermarket and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We have no idea what we're capable right. of.
And so it's really hard for people to have any idea. Mm-hmm. And so they sell themselves so short. Yeah. But you're, you are capable of living a life of divine love. Yeah. Yeah. That's your case. You're in God with his spirit with, with, through, through faith, right? Being led by his spirit in the ecosystem of the mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. You have the capacity to like, yeah. live a life of divine love. Right. And anything less than that is, is a sadness and a tragedy. Right. I, and I think that the, fi- I mean, there's a lot we could even talk about in that, but I think the last question I think we need to discuss is, and I know that the answer is going to be pretty straightforward is like, okay, we know about the flesh. We know about demons. We know how they're interacting with us and our proclivities and our wanting to do what's wrong because of where, where we're coming from. Mm-hmm. What do we do to fight back against that? My, yeah. I know your answer is going to be, well, you pursue godliness, you pursue holiness. Mm-hmm. What does that mean specifically? Um, and, and how much should people even be thinking about this question of what's making me sin? I mean, it feels like kind of a detraction from the fact that you're sinning yeah. and you should be thinking about that. Right. Right. So te- temptation is always seizing the opportunity of the flesh. So the thing, so the temptation originates in a way with you. There's an opening in you. And so that's the thing that's the best to deal with, mm-hmm. right? Because devils are always going to tempt you. You can't mm-hmm. fix that. Yeah. What you can do is lessen the strength of the flesh in yourself, right? You can put it to death and you can pursue holiness. So yeah. I would say, yeah, pers- just pursuing God, right. trying to put on the full armor of God, like it talks about yeah. in Ephesians 6, yeah. um, s- like seeking to just grow spiritually, being right. part of a local church, yeah. having deep, meaningful spiritual small, friendships. Small groups or small groups, whatever, mentorship, accountability. People who will, yeah. yeah, people who tell you the truth, all yeah. that. The second thing I would say is, that you need to believe that devils exist. Yeah. And scripture says that you need to resist them, mm-hmm. which is a resisting temptation. Yeah. And I think one of the things I would say about this is when you, when you know what's right and wrong based on what scripture teaches, yeah. then you should know when you're being tempted. Yeah. Right. And so one of the things that you need to do is recognize it and resist it. And one of the things I think for people who are consistently failing in some of these areas is to is to recognize the lie of inevitability. Mm-hmm. One of the lies that will always come into your mind, this is often true with like sexual sins mm-hmm. or sins that are connected to personal wounds that are really hard to get over, mm-hmm. is the idea will come into your mind is like, look, you can resist this, but you're it, the, the temptation is just going to get worse and worse and eventually you're going to give in. So just which, give in. It, it, which isn't true. If you, re, if right. you resist it, you, you stop thinking about it as much and you right. don't really It will care. intensify for yeah. a little while. Right. And then it'll break. But yeah. like, I've seen this with people who have like, who ever like, uh, are, um, like kind of addicted to sexual sins mm-hmm. is they will feel that urge yeah. of some kind. And then they'll be like, well, okay, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And then they get this sense, this overwhelming sense of like, look, it's inevitable. You always yeah. give in. Yeah. Like you can't resist this. The temptation is just going to get worse and worse right. and worse and worse. Right. But really it's like, it's, it's almost like the urge to smoke or something like the urge itself. It can't even cause physical pain. Right. It's really not that powerful. Right. And you falling into it is not inevitable. It's a, it's a game that your own sensuality, because like once you've trained yourself to be like sexually addicted, for example, your body will amp up the addicted feeling and make you feel like you're almost going crazy, even though the emotion is really technically really not that strong and it can't hurt you. Yeah. Similarly, like eating, when you get your body like really addicted to food, your body will get fake hungry. 
Like if you actually yes. say, yeah, am yeah, I, yeah, yeah. am I hungry? Like, do I yeah. feel hunger in my stomach? Right. And it's just not really, no, no. Yeah. but your body, you can feel it in your shoulders right. and different, like, I yeah. want to eat something. I want to eat something. I want to eat something. Yeah. And if you're like, I'm not going to eat something. It's yeah. like really hard. Yeah. I've been like, I've lost about 24 pounds in the last two months. And one of the things I've been doing is like this intermittent, intermittent fasting where I'll like stop eating at 6 PM yeah. and I won't eat till at least lunch. Sometimes yeah. as late as two. I do that every day. I, I don't eat breakfast or lunch every day and I just eat dinner. Yeah. It's but so, if you binge at dinner, it's a bad. That's yeah. not good. Yeah. Yeah. But like just and, and like just like I, eating less carbs, I eat less sugar and you get yeah. this stuff out of your diet. Yeah. What ha- starts to happen is, is like I'll, I will. I don't feel hungry anymore. Right. 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 Whereas before it was like, I was always driven yeah. by this. And now yeah. I like, sometimes I'll, but sometimes I'll still walk in the kitchen and yeah. I'll say, why am I here? Right. No, and then I'll, and then I'll yeah. ask myself the question, is right. my stomach hungry? hungry? And right. the answer is always no. And I was about two years ago, I lost 20 pounds and it was the same thing. Once you get over that, it's, it's the same with what you're talking about, sexual sin. Once you get over that, like that, those like random urges to eat, once yeah. you were able to control those a couple times after like a week, mm-hmm. it gets pretty easy. It gets that. better and better. Yeah. 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 And they stick with yeah. you for a while. And the, the sugar urges last, I've heard the sugar urge will last for almost a year. Really? Yeah. But then the, it goes away too. Right. And so, um, well that's crazy how powerful sugar is, man. Yeah, that's is. nuts. But, but like, but recognizing those urges for what they are, like yeah. there was a point in my life, like, like in my late teens where I was trying to get over a certain kind of sexual sin and I, and this felt it like inevitable to me. Mm-hmm. And there was a point where I was just kind of like, it can't be, Yeah, it can't actually be inevitable. Right. And once I realized that, right. it's amazing the power right. that that broke because I'm like, no, this is going to get, this temptation is going to get right. worse and worse for me, like maybe 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then at some point it can't kill me and it can't hurt me. Yeah. And I'm just gonna be like, look, I'm not doing it. Yeah. So, so what, what I, the way I respond to that, to that temptation of inevitability, that voice in your head of like, it's mm-hmm. inevitable is you, you contradict it with exactly the opposite. Right. It's under no circumstances. Right. Am I going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, a it's couple over. of years ago I was struggling with like the sexual sin stuff. And I was like, that was essentially what happened where I felt like I was, my repentance wasn't true because I, I, I was repenting with the caveat of it will never get better. Yeah. yeah like, right. it, like, and, and therefore I'm not repenting and I'm not believing, I'm not believing in Jesus. I'm not believing in the gospel. I'm not believing yeah. in the power of Christ. And I'm therefore, I'm not really repenting and, and with a desire to turn away, I'm and repenting with the, like, uh, it's yeah. a defeatist attitude going into the repentance, which isn't repentance. And I had to, I think my kind the, of. So, okay, I wouldn't want to discourage somebody yeah. who is engaged in repetitive sexual sin yeah. and say, you're not really, re- you're not really repenting when you repent after you do it, when you know it's going to happen again. Asking for forgiveness. Yeah. But- I, I, w- I think you can honestly ask for forgiveness, even knowing you're probably likely to fail again. I think you still should go to God and say, I shouldn't have done that. Right. That was morally wrong. Right. Um, I was not the man you yeah, called me to be. Yeah, keep that practice. Don't yeah. stop that. And be honest with God. Yeah. And then turn to God and say, okay, I please help me change, change to change. Yeah. And then also right. you helping me, I know that I have right. to take responsibility to change. I, it's right. not, that's your, your job. Right. I know your grace will help me. I have to say no. And I think that what, what has to happen a lot of times is people need to feel the humility of their weakness before they're ever able to start to repent in a way that's final uh, yeah. with finality or anything, you know, yeah. like I'm done and then be done with that. So, yeah. okay. So to wrap this part up, I would say, yeah, I would say, godliness. I would say pursuing godliness, yeah. but then secondly, in areas of sin that where you mm-hmm. seem to be repetitive, falling into temptation, yeah, you need to fight this, the lie of inevitability mm-hmm. and you need to recognize that you can put a counter inevitability maybe like no under no circumstances am i going to do this right. um and i think that you can win that right. fight right um so i'd say so there so there's that i think the second thing is is that i do think christians should regularly pray prayers of spiritual warfare and renunciation yeah oh, so yeah. Oh, spiritual yeah. warfare would be 
to pray against devils and to ask God for explicit protection. Mm -hmm. And a prayer of renunciation is to renounce any action that you may have taken that had created some allegiance to the authority of devils. So I mean, a serious sin, participation in something that's ungodly, um, participating in idols or like false teachings or witchcraft or any of that kind of stuff. Right. You have to, ex- I would explicitly and and I would pray out loud yeah. and say, God, I, I absolutely renounce uh-huh. any, I know it sounds like, right. it sounds like a Godfather prayer. Like a, like there's like Catholics do this at baptisms. Yeah. Do you renounce the devil? Do you yeah, renounce yeah, his yeah. sin? Which you, is but good. Like, that they, but that's why that's part of the Catholic ritual yeah. is renouncing the devil is actually significant in overcoming right. sin. They, our Baptists do that too. So, I mean, at Bethlehem, they did that every time there was a baptism, they would yeah. make you renounce Satan and renounce your sin. And yeah. I thought that was good, man. Yeah. I think we and, need more of that. Yeah. So I would say explicitly renounce Satan and sin yeah. and explicitly ask for God's spiritual protection. Protection yeah, against devils I, 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 with his presence. I don't know if this is correct or not, but I ask for like angelic protection, like that God would send his angels to protect me. And like, I don't know, I, the thinking through the spiritual realm for me can help me put things into a certain perspective that yeah. m- makes prayer like it's more, it's real, like something's happening. There's a war happening. Yeah, and, the evangelical um, tradition here is to ask for a hedge of protection. <laughs> I don't know what that even. What is a hedge? A hedge is just like it's like a bu- it's like a bush that makes kind of like a wall that like w- w- grew around like um yeah. you know yeah. plots of land like yeah. in England and so on and yeah. so it's just kind of like it's like a wall it's like but a, a hedge wall of basically yeah. yeah yeah um but th- I mean that's kind of that's a, that's yeah. a thing it just sounds right. kind of cliche sometimes yeah yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. I think it's good to do so yeah. rena- renouncing the devil and specifically yeah. praying prayers of spiritual warfare and then the last thing I would say is when you have a problem that doesn't seem to have a clear um, non-demonic answer, mm-hmm. then that it could be demonic should be on your, your functional list. Yeah. So, um, it, so this guy, um, Greg Locke got in trouble for saying like, some of you have like doctors are telling you your kid has autism, but it, and it's a devil and people are like, that's so stupid. Right. And right. it, it might be, but it's also kind of strange how an, an, like when G- the the miracle Jesus did most in the synoptics was mm-hmm. cast out demons, Cash, yeah. and a lot of that stuff looks a lot like mental illness. Yeah. So much so that um, modern readers have often said all these all these demon possessions are really mental illness. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and then the question is, okay, then does that, does that mean you believe Jesus had the power to cure mental illness? Yeah, right. And so I think that I think that there there's going to be demonic activity. That if you compare it to the DSM five that counselors use to diagnose mental illness, they will find a DSM five diagnosis for okay. the thing, okay. and it will look like or even be what we call that thing. Yeah. But then sometimes the medication that's supposed to help it doesn't help it. Yeah. And so I have seen people who have been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Yeah. They've taken medication for it. Yeah. And they're better. Yeah. They're a lot better. Yeah. And they're, and they, and that, that does not seem to have any kind of demonic involvement. That is, mm-hmm. that is a brain malfunction, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen other people who, um, they are diagnosed with a mental illness like that. They take mm-hmm. the medication. It does not work. Mm-hmm. It's not helping them. They try numerous medications. They are doing terrible. And then they go for renunciation and, um, exorcistic prayer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they get a lot better real fast. Mm-hmm. I've had one situation where a woman was diagnosed with something for which she should receive antipsychotic drugs. She received those antipsychotic drugs 
and she was still having outbursts where she would growl and yell in a low voice and like speak like she was a demon. And mm-hmm. then she would act as though she didn't know what had happened. And I couldn't find any evidence that she was faking. Yeah. Okay. She was taking her medication. I didn't ask her not to take her medication. I would not, I would, that's not what I would do. Right. She was having some very strange outbursts. Mm-hmm. Right. So we did engage in exorcistic prayer ministry for her, mm-hmm. which didn't seem to work immediately. But over a period of months, they would, this couple would pray renunciation prayers together. And then we would, we would pray for her periodically. She kept taking her medication. She got, and then she got much better over a year. Yeah. Which is really strange. And right. so you're like, okay, well, what was going on there? And like, but her counselor and her doctors were really upset too, because they were giving her this medication. And she wasn't getting better. Mm-hmm. And so when they told her that, that she had experienced a long-term exorcism and that she was doing better with the medication and that spiritual care, you know, the doctor did what I think doctors will normally do is be like, well, you know, God bless you. <laughs> we're, just, we're just glad you're better. Right, you know? right. And so I think that kind of attitude and a lot of like Catholic exorcists do this yeah. now as well. They, they don't tell people to get off edu- their medications. Yeah. They want them to be under psychiatric care, but when psychiatric care does not work, then you need to turn to the, the, this demonic alternative and face it directly. Let me yeah. give you just two more quick examples. Yeah. There's a lady in our church who's a counselor and she is very much a believer in mental illness as mental illness yeah. as a, as a brain issue or a developmental issue or so on. Right. Yeah. But she, a couple of times she's worked with people and she says, I've, I've diagnosed a mental illness. I've given the appropriate treatment. The person's getting worse, not better. And she's invited one of our pastors to come in and pray prayers of renunciation and exorcism over people. Mm-hmm. And in both cases, the people got dramatically better. And so this is a counselor who's secular in her approach, mm-hmm. right? She's using the secular tools of mental illness, diagnosis and treatment. Mm-hmm. But she also recognizes that when she does the right thing and it's not working, mm-hmm. she, as a Christian, she believes that there's another possibility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she will also tell her Christian pa- patients, mm-hmm. while we do this therapy for your developmental trauma or whatever, pray these prayers of renunciation and of spiritual warfare. And I think a holistic view like that is helpful. And I think that's what, I think that's what counselors should use, especially Christian ones. Let me give you one last example. Mm -hmm. In the healing conference we had recently, Mm -hmm. there was this young man who's been at our church for like, I mean, I don't know, eight years, like eight years. Okay. He is the biggest trier I have ever heard. Like he is trying so hard to be a great Christian. He's living in community, comes to church, is generous, serves, reads the Bible. Like he's just like this wonderful man. Like how old? He's probably 27. 27. But um, he's gone to counselors. He's done psychotherapy. He's done brain spotting. He's done all this kind of stuff. Just his mind is full of voices of self-hatred you're worthless. You should kill yourself. You're the worst person who's ever existed. You don't deserve to live. Like, I mean, he's in love with this his whole, like his whole life. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I had counseled with him personally and just we talked, we talked about his background and his family and all these kinds of things. And I was trying to like unweave Figure all this stuff. Out. Right. Yeah. And um, so Adam Avery was here for the conference. This yeah. guy came up for prayer and he said, um, bro, I think this, this is demonic. I think this is, these are, just, these are demonic voices. I don't think it's just developmental trauma yeah. or just hurt from your parents because right. you've done all this therapy, you've done all this work right. Right. and you've been really faithful and yet they, they the get worse yeah. instead of less and that you want to kill yourself. Let's pray an exorcistic prayer or a renunciation of devil's prayer mm-hmm. and see what happens. And so they, they did. Mm-hmm. And he reported that the, that those voices immediately stopped in his mind. Really, the fog that his mind had been in for more than a decade just cleared. Yeah, and that he has been predominantly just entirely free of those voices for three or four weeks now. Wow, wow. 
And so I'm going to keep checking in with this guy right. to see like if this persists. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we'll teach him is how to pray renunciation prayers to maintain this freedom. Yeah. But it looks like for this guy, and, and, and this yeah. wasn't like some fundamentalist, like wacky, like, well, you've got a problem. It's the devil. Right. Like this right. is a guy who like went right. through every right. secularistic right. diagnostic you could go through. Right. Honestly. Yeah. And in his case, it didn't help. There's lots yeah. of people who go to counselors and it helps them. Right. But when you try to do the, the ways you normally deal with a problem and they don't work, mm-hmm. I think exorcistic or, or um, deliverance prayers are necessary. Yeah. But I think that Christians should mm-hmm. always be praying renunciation yeah. and deliverance prayers for yeah. themselves as like a kind of spiritual maintenance, recognizing yeah. that devils exist, yeah. calling on God for his help, putting yourself under yeah. God's divine authority and renouncing anything that you would have done that may have been an activity in which you put yourself under demonic authority rather than divine authority. Yeah. And that like in a way cleanses mm-hmm. that dynamic and places you under the protection of God. And then Ephesians six, put on the full arm of God right. and pursue holiness with all your heart. Right. If you do that, I think you can, you can triumph. You can be free of, de- of like any kind of demonic mm-hmm. harm in your life. Mm-hmm. And you can be an operate, you can operate for demonic freedom for other people. Yeah. And I think you can believe all of that and you can believe um, that your smartphone works because of science and right, you can believe right, right, and, right. and like everything that we can as quote yeah. secular people. Right. But like Charles Taylor said, there's more than one way to be secular. Right. You don't have to believe that secularism is everything. And I think that modern people know that secularism isn't everything. That's yeah. why they're turning to other spiritualisms. Right. And Christianity is still right. Right. It was right before, before secularism. That, it was right, right during right. secularism. Yeah. And it's right now in collapsing in some ways secularism. Yeah. We've always believed in more. But right. we've always believed in science too. Right. And working that out is the truth. Right. And that truth can be found in evangelical faith right. and it can be found in Christianity more broadly. Yeah. I, I have two resources that could be helpful for people to, and on this topic that I've found helpful for, I guess, understanding how your godliness and holiness can and, and does impact your, um, I guess, impact your ability to fight against evil. Um, like I'm, I'm running a book study right now with a group of guys on the book, a quest for godliness by J.I. Packer. Mm-hmm. And it's the Puritan vision of the Christian life. And mm-hmm. it's great. I think the Puritans did a really good job, but from what I can yeah. tell on the, on this type of like, like pursuing godliness so they can fight their mm-hmm. own evil and so they can fight demons and things like that. Yeah. And so they have a lot of good practices in, in the Puritan life. And then, and then just another, again, this is a Puritan thing to, again, but the, the Puritan, there's a book called Valley of Visions, which is just a prayer book mm-hmm. that are just co- a compilation of Puritan prayers put into a prayer book um, that I, I try to read it every night. And I read it. I don't just read that. I, I read the prayer book and then I always read, read my Bible and then I pray on my own as well. I don't just mm-hmm. do the prayer book. But I think the, those prayers are often focused on fighting sin and mm-hmm. my sinfulness and Christ's help and things like that. So yeah. they've been good practices for me to, to, to engage with. And, um, there might be other historical groups of Christians who have done a, done a good job with this too, but I've, I found the Puritans helpful in, in, yeah. in fighting sin. So, and pursuing godliness. So yeah, I agree. It might be a good, uh, the way that J.I. Packer explains it in the first chapter of the book is that the, to him, the Puritans are like the, the, um, in California, the the redwoods, there are these great, these huge pillars of, of Christian, of these trees of, of Christian, um, I don't know, godly people who yeah. he's looked up to. So it's been yeah, good. like any movement, there were some bad, there were bad yeah, Puritans. Yeah, but but at this point, 
the the weeding has happened and yeah. like the puritans right. that are still in print right. and people are still turning to are the best of that tradition right. and it is in the best of that tradition is great right right it yeah. seems like that yeah um okay I, I think before before we wrap this up we did have one more question that was right. sent in i think we can answer this pretty quickly um this question says uh, is from somebody they asked, "Do you think Christians should you now?" This is we're totally taking a left turn here. Like this has nothing totally to do with question. Yeah, yeah. It's just different. Um, do you think Christians should use beauty filters on social media? How would their use differ from other synthetic physical alter alterations like plastic surgery, steroids, or makeup? Nick says that he can answer this in less than fifteen <laughs> minutes. Let's see if that's true. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I guess I would say relative to beauty filters is I would just be like, okay, why? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Wait, can I answer it in less than one yeah. second? No. <laughs> don't go on, don't be on social media and boom, you don't have to deal with this. All right. Now you can, now you can go. Yeah. I mean, I think if, I think if a beauty filter is just like, like the, you know, like on Instagram, I think it is, you can like, you can put like glasses on yourself or like some kind of funny, weird thing that does, it doesn't really enhance your sexiness. It's just like to make a stupid picture of yourself. That's not all. Filters if, if you are. think, if you think that's worth, worth the use of your time, then right. whatever, I don't care. I don't yeah. think that matters. I think that if you're using a filter that like, like yes. AI reads your face and then like reorders your features a little bit and changes your skin tone and like makes you prettier. Right. Uh, I think the question is just like, why are you doing yeah. that? Or some of them aren't even like AI oriented. They're just like, get rid of your, they kind of just cover over your, maybe like your zits or something like that. I don't know. Just make your skin look smoother and clearer and things like that. And, um, yeah, are deceiving in that way. But yeah, go go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just don't know why. So there's two ways to think about things morally. One is why can't I, Mm -hmm. can you come with a good enough reason to tell me I can't? And the other is it, in what way am I pursuing the good in this? And I think if your attitude is why can't I, which is the demonic way of thinking about morality, no explanation is ever good enough and you're just going to do whatever you want. If it's how am I pursuing the good, right? I think that you're participating in the idolatry of Mm -hmm. beauty Mm -hmm. and not real beauty, but falsified, digitized beauty. Literally fake beauty because you're changing things about yourself. Right. And so, um, so I guess my answer, I'm going to say my answer in a story. So um, some people know about St. Francis of Assisi. He was from like, about the 10th century and um, they wore like burlap habits. They were monks and they were just like not into looking awesome. And um, they, they did and they didn't believe in the comfort of like fine clothes and fine silk. Francis grew up like in the, like in the silk and clothing trade. And so he had the best clothes. And so when he, when he became a monk to like help every help people, they were live very simple lives, including wearing burlap. And mm-hmm. so there was a, one of his monks had a sore, on his kind of like the side of his back yeah. and it was getting worse because the burlap like rubbed against it really hard. And he said, he asked Francis if he could sew a piece of rabbit fur on the inside of his habit so that he could get some relief and so that the sore could heal. Mm-hmm. And Francis was like extremely high in integrity. And he was like, Oh, I don't know about that. And he said, yes to the guy. He said, okay, yes, you can. If you sew an equal sized piece of rabbit fur on the outside of your habit mm-hmm. so that you have integrity about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that if you're going to, I think that that's a good rule of thumb. The idea that like, if you are playing some kind of game, if you are not as you appear, you owe it to whoever you're appearing to for mm-hmm. them to know. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. So like, mm-hmm. if you're going to use a beauty filter, it should be very clear you're using one. Yeah, Everybody should know. 
It shouldn't be yeah. fake. Yeah. And I, I just would encourage people to just. And in some ways that seems like, I mean, you, what you're saying is everybody should know that you're being fake. That's, I mean, that's basically like in the sense that like, Hey, this picture isn't actually an accurate representation of me. I'm posting this cause I'm insecure. I mean, what other reason are you going to post that for? You know what I mean? Like you're just basically outing yourself as insecure and fake. At least that's how I look at it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Um, I don't think I have to. I, I want to help people move away from what I think is sometimes an unhelpful assessment of their own motives mm-hmm. to the effects of what they're doing. Right, like using a beauty filter at a time when. Mm-hmm. anxiety disorders, particularly about body image are through the roof where almost 30% of um, early teen Californians are calling themselves non-binary, a large portion of which are just getting out of the arms race of be trying to be a woman. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's mostly because of body image issues, mostly body image stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which are perpetuated, which are highly perpetuated through social media. I mean, that's yes, where that's mainly, coming from. I would yeah. say mainly, yeah. yeah. So, well, I mean, it was, women have always had the struggle, had that, but, yeah. but this, but, but like the anxiety Enhanced. disorders. Yeah. Right. Um, I was reading a book just today about a woman who'd been um, an intake psychologist person at a university for years and years and years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she said, there's something magic about people born after 1995 or, I can't remember the exact day she gave, but like yeah. basically uh, not millennials, but just, but I, Jen or Gen Z yeah, people yeah, yeah. who were native, native with electronics their whole life. Yeah. Yeah. That she said it, she said, we used to treat people and you'd get the occasional OCD, you'd get homesickness, mm-hmm. you get stuff like that. And she said, then all of a sudden, like overnight, mm-hmm. it was every single person has an anxiety disorder. Right. And she said, she said, and it times exactly perfectly with 2010 and the eruption of the iPhone of like the, the, uh, that, that social media could come directly into your phone, directly into your hand in a way that your parents could, couldn't really supervise. And what conflated the whole thing, which made it even more confusing was that anxiety became a trend so that even some people who didn't have anxiety said that they had anxiety because it was popular to post that you have anxiety on social media. And that's popular. I I saw that all the time. There is a social contagion effect. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think that like, we also are driving people insane. I agree with yeah. that for sure. I agree with that. I just think sometimes what muddy, what, what social media has done with some of these things is they've taken legitimate problems that people have and created a social contagion around them. And then basically, conf, uh, basically like blew some of these statistics out of proportion because people who don't necessarily have that problem have convinced convi- through the placebo effect, I think convinced themselves that they have a problem that they don't have because it's popular to have a problem. And I think I saw people in my generation while I was in high school do that all the time. It's like, you are not anxious. You know, it's popular and you're going to get attention. You might be insecure. You might, you might have a bunch of other problems, but anxiety seemed to be the popular word that everybody had. And it's like, you don't operate like somebody who's anxious. You operate like a normal person who is insecure, which is a different, different from being anxious. I mean, they they can, they can be one of the same, but they also can't. That's why I have a hard time buying this from people my age sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know if, how much you want to get into that relative right, to this right, question, right, but right. I, yeah, I think that there's truth to that. I, I do think though that like, um, I, there is a question of how do we want to portray ourselves online um, if yeah, we are going to yeah. portray ourselves online. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, there's always going to be this issue of if you say something in your world mm-hmm. isn't good, mm-hmm. but everybody's doing it. Who is going to not do it, mm. right? I mean, Alexander Solzhenitsyn said this in the Gulag Archipelago. He said the reason communism could destroy our country 
is because everybody was complicit with the lying. Yeah. yeah. People, people lied and they right. believe, and they didn't right. even believe the lies. They just didn't, they just say, didn't say you're say a liar. No. Yeah. yeah. And, and so like, if you really want to redeem your culture, if things are going to be better, you have to literally say no to them. And you have to say, I'm not doing this. And you have to then do the opposite. Yeah. And so I would say, yeah, post unfiltered pictures. Like my, my daughter is going to this college thing soon and they wanted a picture of everybody to put in this thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And she and this friend of hers are like, we're going to find the ugliest picture we can find of ourselves mm-hmm. and send it. In. Yeah. And it was probably just be stupid, mm-hmm. but it also is partly this, like the I, in my view, the right kind of rebellion. Mm-hmm. They're not yeah. going to send some like right. sexy, like dolled up or just obsess over the, like, or even some like just their senior just, picture. Yeah. They're right. going to send some like picture where they just look like a person or not even, right. or even worse. Don't even care. Yeah. 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 She's like, and she's like, listen, because most of the time in my dorm, I'm going to be in a sweatsuit with my hair in a bun. And so I'm not going to give people the wrong expectations of what they're going to see anyway. Right. And so I, and I admire that about her, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I just, I, I just think that it's probably a bad idea. I think the four things mentioned in this question too, um, can all have separate answers, filters on social media, plastic surgery, steroids, and makeup. Like those all can have different answers as to whether or not how Christians should engage with them. Like, uh, should we, Get oh, plastic yeah. surgery might be different from should we use social media, a uh, uh, filter on social media. Like, yeah. or, you know, I, I think a lot of people are wearing makeup and it's totally fine. I think that some of this has to do, you've already, in different podcasts, it, this has to do with prudence or people's ability to, I don't think steroids has to do with prudence and probably plastic surgery in certain ways. Although, like my dad has skin cancer and has to get skin cut off of his nose. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was supposed to go in and get, um, surgery done, uh, plastic surgery done on that. He, he ended up not doing it for certain reasons, but um, yeah, there was a lady in my church in Florida where they, they took 85% of her nose. Yeah. I mean, that happens. All my yeah. grandpa's got that. And it's mm-hmm. like, and it's, they reconstructed it. It was amazing. Yeah. They, 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 yeah. And well, my dad won't do it because those same people who do, do those plastic surgeries also do, um, gender reassignment surgeries and that he doesn't want to be involved in any of that stuff. But like, yeah, there are certain things where it's like, yeah, I could see that that's totally fine to use plastic surgery to, to get yeah. bigger boobs. Okay. Yeah. Probably I think not. gender reassignment surgery is the, is the furthest example I know of that or body mutilation. There's some plastic surgeries that right. where people attempt to become ant, like more like animals right. and stuff. I think that would be, I mean, so I, I, I the, the classic Christian view on this is right. it, it is wrong to destroy or mutilate healthy flesh. So you would be fine with people getting like breast enlargements or whatever? I don't know what the technical word is. Um, I no, I would not advise anybody to get breast enhancements. No, but you're not destroying. You're not like taking away from. I anything. think it's probably wrong. Yes. Okay. I because th- I think it's, it's vain. I, th- I think it's vain. I think it's sexualizing yourself. Yeah. I also think that it is. It can be inhibiting towards the natural function of the breast. Yeah. In relationship yeah. to receiving yeah. your fertility and That's being true. a source of nutrition for your child. Yeah. I, I think it's just. I I think it is. I think it is making organic life plastic. I yeah. think that you're, yeah, yeah. you're, you, you are an organic creature in okay. being like yeah. you. Are, and so, and also it's um. beauty is fleeting. Like, listen, you can get new boobs. And the fact is, is that in 10 years you're going to be 33 and a new brand of 20 year olds is going to be coming off the assembly line with right. like bigger boobs than you. Mm-hmm. And like, it's an arms race. You don't want to get in. Right. And so, and I, you'll just destroy, it, you'll be Dolly Parton. By the time yeah. And it just, just, it just destroys, it, it really, nasty. it really harms men. Yeah. Men are work. Men are already 
kind of like pre-worked in the society to utterly objectify women. Yeah. You do not need to objectify to yourself yeah. so then they can objectify you more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would say, I would say the man version of this would be steroids. Yeah. I was going to say using different kinds of drugs yeah. and lifting to like get all right. hooked and whatever. Right. And I, I just, I don't think that that's, right. I don't see a, I don't see a good. Yeah. In it's that. just gross too. I mean, yeah. Like but also I don't, weird. I frankly don't see a good in being a gym rat. Either. Right. Oh, same. Yeah. You're, it's vain. You're self-obsessed. You're constantly looking at yourself. It can't be good for you, man. Yeah. The, the gym I mean, okay, rats so are similar to me, what women are on social media. I think. Yeah. There's, let me say it this way. Cause I have, a, I have a kid who might label herself as a gym rat right now, but I, 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 one of the things that people just forget about is just the law of diminishing returns that there are a lot of things in our yeah. life where if we put like 40% of energy towards something, we can, things can be a hundred percent better. Yeah. And then you put another 40% of energy and you only get 10 more percent gain. Yeah. And so I think exercise for me, exercise is one of those things, unless you're training to be like a special operator in the military or right. an elite athlete right. or something like that. There's a certain amount of exercise yeah. that most people don't do yeah. that almost everybody should do that would make your physical life relative to this a hundred percent better. If you yeah. put together 20% effort yeah. and then after, and then there's another jump that's probably still really good for you where you're building muscle and you really are building up your body. Sure. And then you get past that and it's like diminishing returns and it, it's just not, mm-hmm. I don't think it helps. And your time is precious. Yeah. Really precious. Yeah. So don't waste it on things that aren't really going to matter. At yeah. So when I see people be like, well, I'm going to bulk and then I'm going to lean and then I'm going to blow. Right. I'm like, don't objectify yourself. Right. Work right. out enough to be healthy. Right. Eat well enough to be healthy. You, and if you pursue your body God, is a temple yeah. of the Holy Spirit yeah. given for the service of God. The question yeah. is, you were made for good works. Right. So how should you treat your body so that you're so capable you of those, those good, good works? works? That's yeah. the question. Right, right, right. right and right. when you're married, yeah, there are some things you can do to try to yeah. stay attractive for your spouse. But time is still going to destroy all those things. Right. Right. Like if your spouse loves right. you because you're hot... You, mm-hmm. Good luck. We should do a, po- a podcast on vanity at some point because I, I think uh, for men, I know a lot of young men, people my age, friends of mine that are just obsessed with themselves in the gym. They constantly are thinking about it all the time. And it's just like, I think it's a problem. And this is, I'm not talking about women. I mean, I, I actually know more women that I know are better about that in the yeah, church than it's men. It's a placebo. It's a placebo yeah. because what you're, people, people forget about this. Like when you're trying to be sexy. Mm-hmm. You're not really, that's not really what you're doing. What you're doing is you're advertising your fertility. Yeah. You're basically saying, yeah. I, I am a good candidate for the act that creates yeah. new humans. Yeah. And like, because we've like put all this like mm-hmm. strange Gothic idolatry around sex, like it's its own thing for its own right in its own way. Right. And right, we, right, we've made right. it this idol. It's kind of like yeah. women looking good is like this, this expression of like, oh my gosh, look, I'm so sexy. It's like. Your all of your sexiness, your youth, your vitality, the oil in your skin, the prettiness right. of your hair is to demonstrate that you are a healthy female yeah. to attract a healthy male so that you can procreate and make new human beings. Yeah. And instead what's happening is we're advertising ourselves for a meaningless and purposeless sexual interaction to produce nothing but kind of an empty pleasure that harms each person emotionally so that somebody can be abandoned, yeah. that is infertile, that cre- creates no new life so that we can be like fatherless men who are who are not fathers right and like you have to get back to the basics of that we are these organic natural procreating creatures that have souls that have to learn to love and when that happens you can live a really meaningful really full life otherwise you're gonna get lost in the plastic so why dad bods are hot (laughs) well yeah dad bods are hot if you have a dad pod because you can't go to the gym four times a week yeah, because you're right. working so hard for your family. Right, right, right. In that right. sense, yeah, that extra 25 pounds right. is an expression of your sacrifice right. that you're making for your family right. and it's hot. And I appreciate be. that, Nick. 
because I have that. <laughs> um, okay, I, I think we can end this right now. Um, I want to say two things before we end, uh, just about, I had mentioned, in, Nick and I had talked about an early podcast about Optive Network and people potentially wanting to write for Optive. If you want to do that, I, I didn't mention in there, some people were like, how do I contact you and talk about that? Um, you can email me at Andy at OptiveNetwork.com if you want to participate in what we're doing and we can talk about how that looks. Um, and then on top of that, there is a new feature on Spotify where people can send questions in. Um, if you scroll down, it'll say, what should our next podcast be about? You can reply and you can send your question in and we do see that and we can do podcasts based off of that. So both of these questions came from that. And so it's a new feature on Spotify. For those of you listening, you can scroll down tell us what you want us to do a podcast on and we'll try to do a podcast on those topics because um, we want to do what people are asking us to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, those two things are true. Um, but besides that, if you are listening to this and you like it, make sure you subscribe uh, or follow and share this with your friends. Give us a five-star rating. Leave a, leave a review and we'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye.